The Pace line is supported by LEL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LEL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at lelcycling.com. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. What's going on, Patrick? Oh, you know, riding my bike, having fun, and, uh, well, something else I will talk about later. But, uh, yeah, a a, a hospital (laughs) visit that we'll get to. (laughs) Well, you don't seem like anything's broken, and you're not wearing bandages, so I will uh, rest assured that it's not catastrophic maybe yeah yeah not not yeah. catastrophic not so far not if everything goes well. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay all right we'll put that on hold put that I'm, on the shelf i'm upbeat even if my stomach is not <laughs> all right well if there are any pauses everyone knows why and um yeah we'll just we'll just move it right along um before we move it right along though we did i did get a little question from a listener that i wanted to remember to address um she had listened last week. She said, love this podcast. Great episode. Celine, could you clarify something you said regarding fasted training and fat adaptation, a.k.a. coffee rides? Because we talked about that last time with, uh-huh. with respect to the ketogenic diet. And she was saying, I'm wondering if this advice applies to women specifically, since Stacey Sims advises against fasted training for women. Is there some wiggle room here or some detail I'm not understanding? Thanks so much. Which is a lovely catch because I actually wrote Stacey Sims' book. <laughs> so, yeah. Oops. So, yes. You are correct that maybe I helped write a book that said you shouldn't do that if you're a woman. Um, okay, so so I do need to address this because uh, personally, so Stacey Sims re- advises against that as a method of course for women because women have higher cortisol levels in the morning they become more catabolic more easily meaning they eat into their muscles a little bit more easily you know their stress hormones become a problem so if they eat in the morning all that gets tampered down and it's just better in general right like because stress hormones help don't help you lose weight they help you do the opposite like when your stress hormones are high when you do eat, your body's like oh I'm very stressed out I'm going to store this Uh right yep so you know that I Totally. And to be clear, this is not something I do every day. This is not something I do even as a matter of course, a couple of times a week. It's something personally, I find if I'm not like if I'm not in hard training cycles and I'm not waking up hungry, you know, base training blocks, that kind of thing, I will wake up. And if I'm not feeling hungry, I don't force myself to eat. You know, I'll have an espresso. And if I'm going out on an easy ride, I'm just going to do my ride. Maybe I'll pocket something if I if I think I'm going to be out there later. Um, you know, and and I, I, I personally think that's perfectly fine. I, you know, stay, I will never argue with Stacy's science, but I will say we're not test tubes. And I think Stacy would agree with that, you know? So, you know, even though something might be a blanket recommendation, that's good to take as a blanket, but there are almost always some, there's almost always in human biology, some wiggle room for that. The exception that proves the rule. Yeah. Or, you know, it's just not a hard and fast kind of thing. Like, it's not the kind of thing you'd want to be doing every day. And you certainly I would never tell somebody to go out 
and do a ride that's going to be hilly or hard or have intervals or long, you know, and do bonk training. Now, I'm not talking about bonk training. That's a whole other ball of wax. You know, when you go out and like deliberately try to drain your tank and go on a vision quest to see how far you can go on nothing. <laughs> like, and, yeah. And, yeah I, pro, well, there are a lot of pros that do that. I'm not advocating that. Um, so I just wanted to answer that because I think. I did think it was kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I wrote that. And now I'm telling you something else. But anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, it's that helpful happens. that, you know, you know how the how and the why of that got written. Yeah. So so you, yeah, yeah. you're in a better position to address it. Yeah, that's true. That That is 100 percent true as, a, as opposed to like me going, oh, huh. How about that? <laughs> so, <laughs> that is better. That is better. So, um, yeah. So like rolling right in, I. uh uh, into my pool. I would like to talk about the state of gravel. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause it's, I'm, it, I think it's, it's getting ever more fascinating, honestly. Uh, as everyone knows, or if you don't know, I was out at Steamboat last, yeah. uh, last you had a weekend. bunch of people, a bunch of people that, that was insane. Like it, not just like, you know, so there were 1500 people, Registered across all the distances. There was a 140, 100, and a 37, you know, just a real entry level kind of thing. But it was also, you know, you kind of looked around and there was a lot of who's who of what going on. Like, you know, Carmichael was there with one of his camps. You know, you turn to your corner, it's like, oh, Eric Zobel's here. How about that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Wow. <laughs> just like, okay, sure, why not? Um, you know, a lot of pro women locally and abroad, um, you know, Casey Armstrong and Tara Strom, a lot of a lot of firepower on the women's side. Ted King was in the house. Uh, Payson was in the house. Colin Strickland. It, like the front line was just stacked. It was just it was a very um, very pro heavy you know front of the field for sure. Uh, and you know they they put up a twenty eight thousand dollar purse. Wow! You know, like this, yes. Okay. So no wonder they were all yeah. there. Well, I, well, and one woman, it's interesting. Like we were sitting, I, I love, I, I haven't decided how I feel about it yet, but we were sitting at uh, the pro panel, you know, the, at the expo the day before the race. And they, they were just asking people all kinds of questions about their training and their motivation and blah, blah, blah. And they asked one of the women, and I'm not, I can't remember which one it was, like why she was there. And she said money. <laughs> like she's like, I'm, I'm, I know. And I was like, well. That's honest. It's it's I mean, OK, you know, I mean, but, but she was she was motivated that, you know, they had equal payouts for men and women and it wasn't a small payout. You know, yeah. I think the 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 winner probably got five thousand dollars. And um, yeah, so, you know, they, they there were seven hundred, I think, in the 140 field and the rest were distributed. You know, the blue course, which was the 100 had about 650 and then the rest had the the rest of the racers. Um, you know, it's interesting too. the original registration. They made a point of saying that they didn't have as many women as they wanted. And this has been a story that's kind of been circulating that they opened reg back up, you know, after their initial registration and kept spaces open for women until they got the percentage of women they, they wanted. And uh, they ended up with about 28%, you know, just shy of 30, which they'd like to get a half and half. I know Rebecca's, Private Idaho is also shooting, you know, to mm -hmm. try to get a half and mm -hmm. half. I would like someday to see that happen without the um, the initiatives. I mean, I think the initiatives are important, you know, and I think it's a good push. But it'd be great to, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. But I mean, that somebody's making the effort. And I mean, let's be honest, more than 25% women. That's awesome. Considering what cycling was 10 years ago. Or even Leadville still is, frankly. Like, like whenever I go to Leadville, I'm like, it was 9% the year that I went. That's what I, and I was super surprised because, you know, I mean, it's, it's always small at like big mountain bike races, you know, I mean, it, Mm -hmm. it is a small percent, but I still thought like with all of what Leadville is, I was very surprised that it was, you know, it was still that low. Um, anyway, it was, you know, it was, it's funny. It was in, you know, it's in Steamboat Springs. So it definitely had, uh, it felt more high end than down home. Let's say, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> just by virtue of, of where you are. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely felt like they were going for that sort of high end feeling thing right out of the gate, you know, cool. with the money, with the, with the, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Tons of photographers everywhere you looked, there was a photographer Really? Or videographer. Yes. Tons of photographers. Uh, the, the course was, I, I'm, I should not be surprised when the hard thing is hard, but for some <laughs> reasons I still, I still to this day will sometimes be surprised when the hard thing is hard. It was hard. It was, um, you know, I think part of the problem I was coming off the perimeter ride where I did all those, you know, I had just done 500 some miles and three centuries with 40,000 feet of climbing so just like, huh, it, like in my head, somehow I'm just like, it's 140, whatever. It's just another big day. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could have, I could have thought more about it, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, it, not that it would have mattered, but it, uh, you know, the gravel ranged from, I think I was expecting more hard pack and we ended up with a lot of moon dust and a lot oh. of, yeah, a lot of sketchy, drifty, you know, like you're squiggly, <laughs> you know, kind of, uh-huh. you're going, yeah. Um. There was only one section that was, I would call, really rugged, and that was uh, conveniently placed right at the end when you're maybe most tired. You went down Cow Creek, which they had dumped a bunch of boulders in to fill out all the potholes. So instead of a giant... Yeah, well, exactly. So instead of giant craters, you just have like these masses of this size rock that you're just like, well... Uh, you know, you don't want to flat at that point, but you also just don't want to slow down. It's like this whole matrix going on in your head. Um, I did not flat, you know, which, you know, yeah. You know, cost benefit analyses after nine hours or so. It becomes very difficult. Yes, it yeah. does become. I don't you always just get that want, math right. You just want to get home. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot of it was stunningly beautiful. We went around Steamboat Lake. Uh, through numerous ranches, a couple of which were private. So it was, oh, you know, you know, special, special. Yeah. Extra special, extra special. Uh, the course had, I, my Wahoo showed me about 9,300 feet of climbing. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, it was interesting. Well, it was challenging and, you know, like the, the course was back heavy in, in a lot of ways, you know, it got, it was very fast in the beginning, you know, with one big climb and then, between 80 and 103 that there was that 23 mile stretch in the heat of the day, which got into the nineties. Um, it was, you were pretty much doing nothing but climbing and the final stretches were all over 8,000 feet of altitude. So, you know, I mean, I, I, you, it, it became difficult. Like there were people like you were definitely, I got quite like people, a couple of people I was talking to, did get sick. I did not get sick, but I felt 
I didn't feel my best going <laughs> during those stretches because it's just, yeah. it's hard. You, you know, like it, your, your belly just doesn't get super happy with that kind of heat altitude and effort all, all combined. Um, you know, I, I certainly wasn't alone in that, but you know, for, for anyone looking to experience like an, a true Rocky mountain gravel race, it's definitely one worth lining up for, you know, it's definitely the people I talked to who did the hundred miles were raving about it. Like the oh. hundred mile, yeah, raving, raving, raving about it. Because I think it was a, uh, it was quite a bit less climbing. It was closer to six thousand, and it seemed like it, the whole thing just rolled really fast. Like they, not just the gravel, but like you were able just to like keep it going, as opposed to like when you with the one forty definitely treated you to some sections where it's just like I will keep turning this these pedals over. <laughs> I will keep turning these pedals over somehow. I mean, people were just like crawling up some of the sections because it was oh. just. It was, yeah, it was hard. I mean, it was, it was relentless, but they had an, you know, a nice, uh, they, they closed off the street at the end of it. And we, a lot, a lot of us went straight into the Yamba river, uh, the Yampa, because it's in the Yampa river Valley. And we went like, it felt great to lie just like right down in the river. And yeah, it was a, it was a definitely, definitely a good time. I'm sure that it will become, you know, I'm sure it'll sell out again next year and I'm sure it'll be a big hit because it, it, they're definitely putting it together well and they're putting together right. So but it, it it contrasted so interestingly with um, the gravel event I did the weekend before this one, uh-huh. which um, which was the Middle Creek Gravel Grinder, which has a quaint, sweet name that belies some of the gnarliest, craziest Jeep tracks, single track things that they throw you on. Like, I love that. Like people showed up. Um, People showed up who had done uh, who had done unpaved and gotten really hooked on gravel, and that's the one that we do in Central PA. And mm-hmm. they like one guy actually stopped me. He's like, "Are you Celine?" I was like, "Yes, I am." It's like he's, he's like, "Is this gravel?" You know, <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, um, no, yes, sort of, yeah, maybe." You know, because it, it and this has come up before, but I think the definition. Of gravel and what's good gravel, it, it really depends on where you are, who you are, what you're looking for. You know, it's funny because like Steamboat was amazing and they really did pull out all the stops. Um, the only thing that made me roll my eyes a little and I love you. I love you all at Steamboat. I love you guys. But, they, you know, their, their swag bags had like the greatest gravel roads on earth, you know, on them. And I, I did roll my eyes a little bit because... <laughs> With all due respect, and again, I love you guys, um, Vermont, Massachusetts, Central PA, Georgia, Michigan, can't, we could go on and on, right? And I'm sure mm-hmm. I don't have as much experience where you are, but California coast has got to have some. There are great gravel roads everywhere. I think, I think my question for you is, though, like, have you ever shown up to a gravel ride to be surprised by what you find? And do you think that... You know what? I have this book coming out um, and I do talk about how to know what to expect when you show up, because I think more and more people don't necessarily know what they're getting into or they think they're getting into something and they're getting into something else. And it's yeah. still real wild, wild west, which is kind of fun. But as this thing grows and I think it's just going to continue growing, at least for the foreseeable future, yeah. um, it might be helpful. It might be helpful to let people, you know, have a idea like, yeah uh, i mean when you think about it okay let's you know 
uh, I cut my teeth raising crits, right? And mm-hmm. you think about the range of expression, if we can use that term, for criteriums. They're all in pavement. You know, you mm-hmm. might get a hill here or there. You're going to get some turns. But the easiest crit to the hardest crit, there's not that much variation in what the course can possibly be. Yes. And so to your question of have I ever shown up to a gravel event and been surprised? Celine, only every bleep in time. <laughs> every time I do a gravel event for the first time, there's something that catches me completely off guard, whether it's a beautiful view or a climb that is steeper and longer than I thought anyone in their right mind would include mm. or a descent that like, you really want me to go down this or like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I want to do that one again. The, right. The range of expression in gravel events is like the range of expression of creation itself. You know, it's, wow. it's, you know, the aardvark and oak trees. <laughs> it's <laughs> just, it's everything. And I love that about doing gravel events because, you know, I go back to Memphis and I'll ride the quote unquote gravel roads there. And they're usually farm roads between fields of soybeans or cotton and it's loose dirt and uh, occasionally little bits of gravel, but often kind of not very hard packed down dirt. And it's all two wheel drifts. Every time you do a turn, it may be more of a turn than you meant to do. And you're headed off toward the soybeans. (laughs) Uh, you know, and, and then in other parts of Tennessee, it's all river bottom land where it's muddy and slick and rooty. Uh, and that's just within like 40 miles. Yeah. Yeah. And around here, I never know what to expect other than if it starts going uphill, I need to be prepared that it could be 18 or 22%. Right. But that's, you know, when it comes to banking on something, all I know to bank on is brutal. (laughs) you know so yeah i mean it's there's all sorts of stuff and and that's the beauty of these events you know you can do a crit in pennsylvania a crit in vermont and a crit in california and they may all seem of a piece but you do a gravel event in those three places and you may wonder what it was you thought you were signing up for because it's not that thing and i love that 100 percent. yeah it is and that's you know maybe that's Maybe that's it. Maybe. Um, I mean, I think people should read their their course descriptions carefully. <laughs> you know, if you're not comfortable in single track, you you should read the course description. And if it says single track, you need to know that that means that you're actually going to be riding your gravel bike on what most people would ride their mountain bike on. Right. Like, yeah. I think that. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, yeah, just uh, go into it with the, with an embrace of the creation and all the mystery that. Uh, God has put on this big blue marble for you to ride your gravel bike on. Yeah. I mean, you probably, if you don't like surprises and the unknown and the unexpected and, uh, the, I don't even know what else to call it, but if, if you're not prepared to be unprepared, (laughs) (laughs) uh, gravel riding may not be the thing for you. Hmm. That's probably, that's probably fair. I mean, I, I, yeah, that's probably fair. Personally, you know, yeah, I, I love being surprised. I don't enjoy being humbled in quite as routine a fashion as I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> but the surprises are fun. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I like the surprises too. I, I, again, like you, probably like everybody within within some modicum of reason. But yes, I, I like the oh, well, I guess this is what we're gonna do now, and you just, you know, you, you just yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Uh, the other point you made that I will back you up on is if the event organizer gives you some advice, they're probably spot on. <laughs> yes. Well, and um, it might have been, it might have been Eldon, it might have been Fatty. Somebody at some point, I believe on the earlier incarnations of this show, talked about looking at what the event organizer rides. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, do you remember that? Yeah. Um, and I, and I can think of a couple instances in retrospect. I'm like, that's, Oh, that's really good advice because I, when I've been on stuff that is just super insane mountain biking and I look at the guy's bike, I'm like, Oh, look, you've got 2.3s on your drop bar bike. That's okay. That's, um, you know, maybe I should, yeah, maybe I should go up on a tire size. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, it's interesting. I, I often, that's going down another road, but I often think that events do reflect their, uh, the organizers. In many ways. Yeah. Gravel events in a way that so many others can't possibly. But yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those things where also one of the things you run into with so many gravel events is that they embrace the sense of the unknown. And so they may not give you all that much advice or many tips. So on those occasions that they do. It really does behoove <laughs> you to pay attention. Yes, that is that is sound advice as well. That is true. That is true. I, I mean, not that I've necessarily done that. Well, and there's that. I mean, at some point, you just you, you have to run what you run kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. You haven't done Land Run, have you? Because Bobby no. was there from Land Run. And he's like, oh, you got to come down. And I'm just like, oh, it, yeah. That's, that's on my short list of stuff to cross the Rockies for. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've met Bobby, and he's—he's he's a, a wonderful a, human being. Yeah. yeah, and it's like no wonder there's a, a, a an actual cycling scene now there. You know, yeah. where whereas there didn't used to be any cyclists at all. So yeah, uh, it's neat how some people kind of generate their own gravity. Yeah, yeah, and his uh, his wife is lovely too. I'm blanking on her name, but she did the DK three fifty on a single speed. So that tells you all you need to know too. I think. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that course this year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Cause we were seeing the DK three fifty. Yeah, oh. we were seeing that they were riding part of the two hundred course in reverse direction. So we were seeing them going the other direction. And oh, that's kind of cool. I don't think you I don't want to see somebody looking completely wiped out riding in the other direction. You know, oh, it is right. psychologically not so helpful. <laughs> Did you think that you were going to be coming back that way or did you just like it didn't mess you up in at all like that way? Right. Did you go, oh, my God, am I going the wrong way or oh, my God, am I going to be coming back this way? It was, oh, my God, am I going to be coming back this way? And will I be looking like that? Well, (laughs) we for for the for the 140 course, you did have that because you had this the hardest part. That section I was talking about was part of this really hard lasso. And you did see people coming back, but you had no idea. Like I saw some of the fat, like the, the leaders coming through and I'm like, wow. Okay. So they're probably, I was trying to figure out like how far time wise they were ahead of me mm-hmm. going. 
I'm going to see some stuff. You know, I'm like, I'm going to go out there. And when I was coming back, I was seeing some people going, just going out into the abyss. And I just, well, I, I wanted to warn them because they already looked so knackered and shattered. And I was like, just save yourself. keep your head down and smile. <laughs> exactly. I would be like, turn around, save yourself. But um, I was just like, hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, fortunately, I did begin to recognize that the numbers, you know, were not like my number. And it's like, oh, okay. They've already been right, on right. a bike an extra 12 hours or whatever. Uh, 14 hours. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I, I relaxed some at that point, but boy, that, that's a thing to encounter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially when your mind is not working so well and is ready to play yeah. tricks on you. Yeah. yeah. And so, well, yeah, I just, I love all of that. I really embrace all those crazy edges that you get to gravel events. Uh, cause I really do like that sense of adventure. And it is nothing if not that. That yeah. is true. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. I mean, it places the emphasis on, on you against the chorus as opposed to get you against your fellow racer. That's true. Even in the competitive ones. I mean, even in the, you know, even like this with tons of people at the pointy end, it's still really, it's still really you in the course. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. I just love that part. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, right. let's break for a sponsor, and then we're going to talk about ways okay. cycling has made our world bigger. At Shimano, we love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we are back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, give me your poll. What's it this week? Well, in the last few weeks, I've been going back through some pieces I've written for other outlets that I always meant to share with my RKP audience, but never got around to posting because I don't know, stuff, family, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it has gotten me to thinking, though, about all the different pursuits that cycling has introduced me to. Stuff that I almost certainly would never have developed an interest in were it not for cycling, which is a very strange thing for me to think about. The first one, and this is actually, I'm going to say rather subtle, but my health. I was, I was reasonably healthy as a musician. I wasn't super healthy, but I wasn't truly that concerned with my health and really wasn't that careful with my diet. I didn't eat much meat and I ate plenty of leafy greens, but it was less about making sure my body was healthy. That's just kind of what I was eating, you know, and the stuff that I didn't want to eat. 
I still ate donuts, you know? <laughs> so I have to say cycling gave me that, gave me this sense of having a healthy body and taking care of it. Having a body I'm comfortable in and have largely been comfortable in for the last 30 years, totally due to cycling. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, forget whatever I get out of it when I'm out on the road or gravel or single track. When I'm dressed in cotton and walking around, you know, I feel pretty good about myself. And yeah. totally, totally cycling. And I didn't see that coming. And I didn't understand the value of it until I had it. Uh, so, yeah, big surprise. Uh, the biggest, most obvious one in my life is wine. Prior mm. to becoming interested in wine, really interested in wine, that is, I'd had some Napa cabs. I'd had a glass of Chateau Margaux, one of the great Bordeaux, and some other very good wines. But if I went six months without having a glass of wine, no biggie. Then, in a story I just posted on RKP, one day on a bike tour where we were leaving Provence and entering the Alps, uh, I had a chance to have a little taste of my first Chateau Neuf de Pop. And this was uh, one of the better producers of Chateau Neuf de Pop in an extraordinary vintage. My mind was blown, period, period, period. Uh, it was just, I couldn't believe what had happened in my mouth. And suddenly, truly, I got it. Uh, it was a classic Joycean epiphany. Never before had I appreciated just how many different flavors a glass of wine could hold. I don't know what had changed in between one thing and the other, but my mouth went, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going to do more of that now. And from that moment on, I have cared about wines and at times <laughs> probably even cared a little too much when I consider all the money I've spent. Yeah, uh, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, I, I could have saved myself money by not trying that one shot enough to pop. <laughs> Another neuroscience. Uh, this is the geek in me coming out. <laughs> Without cycling. And my love of descending, I'd never have learned about neuroscience and particularly the neuroscience underpinning flow states. I might have learned something about neuroscience, but I wouldn't have started really having an interest in it. The upshot from that is that I gained a new appreciation for non-ordinary states of consciousness, altered consciousness, and began to see the whole of my life, my entire past in a new light. Turns out every endeavor I've ever pursued before cycling I was also chasing flow, just didn't understand it, didn't have a name to hang it on. And once I began to see non-ordinary states of consciousness as a part of our evolutionary destiny, I began to see pharmacology in a whole new light. And because I began to see pharmacology in a whole new light, it opened my mind to the possibility of antidepressants. And boy, has that been a helpful shift for me. So. Yeah, another one I, I am truly grateful for. And it's something that I genuinely enjoy reading about. And while I'm no botanist, riding bikes will definitely introduce you to a great many sights and smells. And cycling definitely introduced me to lavender and a great many of flowers and succulents in a really visceral way. Uh, bottom line, by going full rabbit hole on cycling, my world got bigger, not smaller. I truly never saw that coming. And that's when I think about all the benefits of cycling, that's one of the benefits I'm happiest about. Yeah. So 
Now let's put the question to you. <laughs> what has cycling brought into your life that you didn't see coming? Uh, my husband. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, I had, I, I had always told the story, but I've always ridden a bike and I was, did not consider myself a quote unquote cyclist. And then I started at Rodale press, you know, before it became Hearst, which it is now. And that's where I met Dave and he, Knew that I kind of used to have a hybrid and ride around. He's like, oh, we should go for a ride. And he, I, I, he is really the reason I became a cyclist. I mean, that's that it, wow. it's because, yeah, it's because of him that I self-identified that way. Um, cause I never would have, you know, at first I sort of was like, uh, yeah, whatever. I don't need a better bike, but he's like, well, I think you'd be good at this. And you know, well, I think you could be good at this turned into something. <laughs> so. When you first joined, we're going to, this is off topic, but I, I got to ask because I kind of figured you were working with bicycling pretty much from the beginning. That's not true. Okay. So, so what were you hired for a specific magazine? No. Um, so I, when I first got out of school and had my early jobs, I was doing medical writing, um, doing writing for such uh, exciting magazines as infectious diseases in children. I remember and, you telling me about yeah, that. Yeah, party radiology time. today, and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so I was doing I was doing a lot of medical writing, and uh, I kept sending resumes to Rodale because I wanted to get out of that and do more consumer facing press, and they kept sending me very nice rejection letters. And then at some point, a headhunter through them got a hold of all my resumes, and they were like, "We should call this girl." So she called me up, and I had to write a chapter on dental floss. And uh, I did a very good chapter on dental floss and they hired me for their book division because at the time oh. they had in-house writers doing their books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's where I started. And at that time you could freelance within the company and uh, bicycling was not one of the first I wrote for men's health. I wrote for prevention. I wrote for all those other titles and I s started riding with the bicycling crew. Once I, you know, I'd met Dave, he was also in the book division got a bike. They always did lunch ride. I went on the lunch rides and Bill Strickland was like, why don't you write for us? And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't I write for you? And that's the inauspicious beginning of all of it. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, I started writing for them. I was never an employee of theirs. I oh. always wanted to, I always wanted to have my own uh, business and my own writing uh, content producing kind of on my own. And I stayed there for three years and made a ton of uh, contacts and met the most wonderful people I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, many of them through cycling and started my own thing. And I've, I have been at it ever since. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's life changing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, honestly, that's the bike uh, for me. I mean, it's hard to even answer that question, Patrick, the bike has been everything. It, mm -hmm. uh, it's been everything, you know, it, it, uh, I have struggled with body image my whole life. I'd be lying to say that that ever goes away, but it sure helped me get out of a terrible eating disorder and feel good about the skin I'm in by and large. Uh, I've, I met my people. I mean, I have always been, I never felt like I really, I was, I was not ever unpopular in high school or anything like that, but I didn't really have that many friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I sort of like just drifted and people liked me and, 
that I wasn't close to anyone. I never felt, and in college, I, ne- I didn't find anyone because I wasn't really riding. I never found my tribe. I know ne- I didn't even know my tribe existed. You know, I yeah. didn't even know that was. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there could. I didn't know there could be a place that I belonged. You know, yeah. and that, and when I, 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 I choke up on this show so much. But when you know that was that was the biggest thing. I was just like, wow, like. This is this is it. These this I love this. I love these people. And I, you know, they took me mountain biking and I was like, this is amazing. And we were like crossing streams and riding over rocks and they were encouraging me to race and I didn't even know I could. Like all of that. You know, <laughs> yep. I didn't and I didn't mm-hmm. know there was I didn't know there was any of that in me. I didn't know any of that existed. And um that has it has that has made my life. That's why I I, it's my entire life, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. there are sometimes I'm like, am I one dimensional? You know, but I, I, cycling is, I, you know, it's a huge part of what I am. And yeah, I do some running and swimming and I dabble in this and that, but there's nothing else like, uh, cycling in the bike for what it's done. I mean, you know, now, now we're getting into promoting events and, oh, it's just, it's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, to your point, yeah, I should probably have said community because my, my life in music, that community, and maybe it's partly due to the age I was at, at the time, the music community was not tight knit. We didn't support each other in the same way. There was a lot of insecurity. And so a lot of backbiting and, mm-hmm. you know, instrument theft and all sorts of just bad, you know. Uh, substance abuse, uh, addictions, I mean, whatever, but, but addictions, uh, and you know, I get to cycling and I'm in it a few years and suddenly, yeah, there are these people who accept me and encourage me and treat me well. And yeah, if I were to think about anything that cycling has given me, that tops all the things that I've just said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't talk about this much because I don't th- I honestly don't think about it. I'm not ashamed of it, but I forget. I used to smoke. So, you know, I that cycling stopped that. Like I uh you know, I used to I used to smoke when I waitressed at the honeymoon hideaway and you know, it it, it got it was it became a habit when I waitressed because we were all bored and I was young and uh-huh. you know, that's what that's what servers did between yep. whatever. You, you smoke cigarettes. And that became more of a habit as cigarettes will. You know, and uh, at some point you're like, oh, now I'm sort of addicted to these things and that's no fun. But a one, I guess one way to break an addiction is usually with another addiction. But, you know, when I get on my bike, it would be frustrating to me when I would get on my bike and I couldn't climb a hill because I was smoking cigarettes. Right. I'm like, the cigarettes can go because they're, they're not giving me the same joy as this thing. So, yeah, I mean, that's. Uh, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. And I ran into, it's funny, I ran into a a woman I hadn't seen in 30 years that I went to high school with who I played field hockey with, and uh, she's still smoking cigarettes. And I just, I kept thinking, like, she's just not found that other thing. You know, like, I when you when you run into people who, are, she's, like, exactly the same, and I'm just so much not the same. And I think that uh, it's because I found this this place that I didn't know existed. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for me, having moved, uh, what, 
two cross country moves and one long move within a state. Every time I've moved, cycling has allowed me to find yes. a community and begin building an infrastructure of friends uh, that would have been so much more difficult to do without the sport. Totally. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Especially as an adult. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another piece of this is the value of the intimacy of those friendships that you build on the bike. I mean, it's different from anything that I had as a musician. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, the guys I was in a band with, I was close with them and I care about them to this day, but it's not the same sort of intimacy that I've built with other guys that I ride with regularly. And I, maybe part of it is the age I was at. I'm willing to concede that that could be a big piece of this, but I really think there's something special about cycling and the way that it brings people together. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think that, um, well, you know, this is a bit of neuroscience too, though, right? That that when you're in that kind of repetitive motion mm-hmm. and exercising, it uh, it it opens you up a little more. I mean, it, it they they find that with people who are autistic, they find that with all kinds of people. If you put them in sort of that zen like repetitive thing, like your brain chemistry changes, and you become more communicative. I mean, you do like you yeah. you become it opens you up, and that that yeah. is a hundred percent true. Yeah, that is interestingly, though, also a good argument for music, you know, somatosensory uh, experiences, you know, playing drums. Yeah, that's reasonably rhythmic. (laughs) Playing guitar, same sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah, fair, fair. So I I can't I don't want to I don't want to bag on music. Oh, yeah, I didn't think you were. But uh, I yeah, there's just been something special and and different for me with cycling. And it's neat how often. We all echo that. Yeah. That is 100% true. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks. Uh, and thank you for that reminder. You know, it's, I write this thing. It's like, oh, look what I overlooked. <laughs> it's all right. You, you got it. No, you, you were a little more granular with the other stuff that I was just like, what am I going to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was good stuff. Yeah. All right. Oh, all righty. Let's move on to Paceline Picks. What do you have this week? I have a book. Uh, I have uh, Remember Lonely Planet. Yeah. Yep. Though they are still doing Lonely Planet and they have a new book out, The Lonely Planet Epic Rides of the Americas. And I have to mention this. I'm in it. <laughs> I wrote something. I wrote one of the chapters for it. Um, cool. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, as as they always are, it's the definitive companion, as they say, for cycling enthusiasts. And it's got 200 different uh, north, central and South America's best uh, routes for adventures. It's got everything from like bikepacking in Baja, road riding in Colombia, mountain biking in Canada, and gravel riding in Pennsylvania. That was my little, con- yeah, that's like my little contribution to it. Um, it's cool. It's a, it's definitely a, it's a very pretty book. It's a coffee table book. But the oh. thing that I, yeah, it's very, it's, it's, it's a hardcover. It's beautiful. And the thing that's really lovely about it because we're sort, we're we've gotten kind of removed from those things, right? Like you don't get a lot of hardcover coffee books. At least I don't the way I used to, but it's nice because it is, it invites you to pick it up and it feeds your wonderlust. You know, it's just like, Oh wow. I should like, 
know, the internet's great for finding stuff when you already know what you want. But like a book like this, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a book like this is a nice way to like see something that you didn't even know that maybe you wanted to do. And in the traditional Lonely Planet way, it also gives you tips, you know, to pursue those adventures if if you choose to. So yeah, it's thirty one bucks and available through all. I think you can also get a downloadable version, but if you're inclined, I encourage you to get the book because it's cool. Yeah. Wow. Uh, now the the chapter you wrote was it just on Pennsylvania or how? It is. How much on, does it include? It is just on Pennsylvania. So all through each chapter highlights a specific ride. Okay. So mm. um, my specific ride was Lulaka Wakahundo, which is a hundred miles in like northern uh, northeastern Pennsylvania, and it talks about you know the history of that ride and what you see and why it's important. And then it includes like other rides like this, you know, so of course I include an unpaved, but there's also like Keystone gravel and iron cross and just gives you like a snippet of that what gravel riding in Pennsylvania looks like as well as tools to like find gravel adventures in Pennsylvania. So, you know, rag bry is in it, uh, that kind of, that kind of thing. But then with those are the anchor points to talk about the larger cycling scene in those areas, like Bentonville is in it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, do you recall any of the other authors who are in it? Any names we might recognize? Uh, only the friends I know, <laughs> like, you know, Caitlin. Well, that's yeah, a start. Yeah. Kate Giddings is in it. Um, I, I, I don't remember everybody, but I do know that they got a lot of uh, great people from our industry to contribute a chapter or two. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, I, I look forward to checking that out. I will definitely want to have that. Yeah, I think you'd yeah. like it. It's it's very it's a, it's a nice book. Well, in any time cycling gets celebrated in a big format, full color, high gloss way, I kind of think that we ought to just on pure principle go out and support the book. That is fair. And yet you won't be sorry. It won't let you. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, my pick this week. uh is like a few of my others, isn't something that will really get too many of our listeners excited to go out and make a purchase. Uh, nonetheless, it's my pick. Um, I'm going with doxycycline. I, I think I'll pass on that pick. Patrick. <laughs> I've been there. I, I've, I've actually, uh, I've tried it. I would not pick it uh, for fun, but what? <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is the antibiotic that is frequently prescribed for anyone diagnosed with or suspected mm-hmm. of having Lyme disease. Yep. Sunday after my ride, I noticed a little bite on the inside of my right bicep. Thought nothing of it. Things bite me, right? I'm a people. Mm-hmm. It happens. <sighs> Yesterday afternoon, I get out of the shower. I look down and the red area that was maybe an inch and a half across the little rash had grown from, you know, like I say, about an inch and a half to four inches across. And there was a lighter ring right around the bite. Hmm. In other words, you know, sort of like, um, what, what would you call it? A, a, oh yeah. A bullseye. <laughs> yep. <sighs> Given the hour of the day, late afternoon, the fact that Kaiser has no urgent care here in Santa Rosa, uh, and the fact that I also needed to pick boys up from school, I had to go to the ER where the doc who looked at me said he thought I had an ingrown hair. What? And people wonder why Lyme gets misdiagnosed. Uh, 
That is so frustrating. Yeah. That's so frustrating. Yeah. Ingrown <laughs> hair. I mean, and you know, it was one of those things where he said that and I was so dumbstruck that I didn't even have a response initially. <laughs> and like, he's ready to walk back out of the, the room, you know? Uh, and I'm like, oh, wait, wait, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> get back here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> gosh, I managed to insist on blood work. And when I was like, no, we're going to do this. I want to know. We need to make sure and we need to be prepared. He's like, well, you know, I could give you doxycycline for 10 days. Uh, and, you know, he's still kind of hemming and hawing and thinking it's an ingrown hair. And I'm like, look, dude, ingrown hairs don't have a rash four inches across, which, by the way, is five inches across today. <laughs> wow. <sighs> is it because you're where you are? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Lyme does happen here in Northern California. Yeah. Okay. But not like Pennsylvania or Connecticut where the city of Lyme is. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, Massachusetts, New Hampshire. It's not like there, but it happens. Uh, but it's still rare enough that it's going to get misdiagnosed some here and there. Yeah. And I know way too many people whose lives have been completely disrailed by undiagnosed Lyme. Totally. It's just not something to mess around with ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I'm talking up doxycycline is that you only have to take it for 10 days, not a full month, mm -hmm. at least according to some reports. Mm -hmm. uh, and also according to some reports, it's not as hard on the gut biome as amoxicillin. Mm -hmm. And when my now 10 year old was seven and on Father's Day, we noticed a bullseye rash on his belly. And I said, oh, well, this is how I'm going to spend my Father's Day. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. Got that. Drove him to the ER. And it's funny. It's the same thing every time. They pull out their smartphone. They take a photo of it. They send it to somebody else. Uh, <laughs> um, and in his case, they did agree immediately. That's very early Lyme. Let's start him. They put him on amoxic uh, amoxicillin. And man... That kid was a trooper. Every single dose, he almost tossed his cookies. Oh. It was it was bad. And he was a trooper. And at seven, you know, cooperation is not always high on their list of priorities. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna take the doxy uh doxycycline for only 10 days, but I'm two doses in. And just before you and I started recording, I was beginning to wonder if I might be uh, postponing our recording time. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's my, my stomach's not really in love with this stuff. Uh, and I'm going to go out and buy probiotics after I finish <laughs> mixing the episode. <laughs> Good idea. But you know, we could also rephrase this and ultimately say, my pick is if you're riding in the woods, check yourself before you wreck yourself. True story. True story. I mean, if you have anything I had, it was years ago now, but I had a welt. Um, I think it was actually just from sitting in my backyard because on the back of my leg. And I went to see a show with my mother that night in Philadelphia. And I felt like I could have lied down on the sidewalk and take a nap. I've never, like, I got crushingly tired. I was like, that's not good. Oh. So I went to the doctor the next day and they did a test, but he's like, I'm going to just put you right on the doxicillin. Like, he's like, I'm not even going to wait for that to come back from everything I see and what you've just told me. And it, Rash went away right away and the test came back negative, but that doesn't mean anything because it comes back a lot with false negatives. Lyme yeah. notoriously comes back with false negatives. 
Uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I I tell everybody like just don't. It's not it's not worth messing with because doxicillin like knocked the ra- the rash right away. I'd never had any ramifications, you know. From the only thing I didn't get queasy or or it didn't mess with my belly, but I did get super super sun sensitive. Like it felt it was <laughs> I had to I wore a lot of sunscreen and I still felt like I was in an oven, you know, when I was out in the sun. But you know, whatever. Like that minor a minor small price totally yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is, this is going to be a, a little interesting for the next few days. I, I mean, I'm anticipating that I will feel this way after each dose that this part mm-hmm. won't actually get better, but you know, considering the alternative, I was just reading a story in the Atlantic yesterday, uh, written by a woman who did a huge investigation. I read that into Lyme and, uh, her experience, the electric shocks and all yep. that, that she was getting and, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, only had children during her, rem- we'll call them remissions. That's right. You know? Yeah. That oh was, my gosh. that was, that was quite the piece. Yeah. 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 So, uh, consider this my, my, my first person <laughs> immersive journalism recommendation. <laughs> Michael Pollan, eat your heart out. <laughs> well, right, he would have taken this a step further. <laughs> oh, Ah, righty. Well, uh, I think that's, that's it for another episode of the baseline. <laughs> um, let's see. What do you have coming up this weekend? Celine, anything? I do not have any, uh, travel or rides, which is good. I need, I need, I, that steamboat fried my behind. Let me tell you, like I, I came back cause it's been quite the month and I was just like, wow, I'm tired. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> you know, just trying to like pedal up my driveway. I was just like, wow, this is super super hard and so i'm i'm you know just easing back in today my energy levels were much better and i felt pretty good on the bike and my dad turns 81 on saturday so uh, well, my congratulations dad yeah my yeah. brother's gonna come into town and we'll have uh that'll be the highlight of the weekend is uh having a birthday celebration with my father cool yeah nice all righty uh well hey everybody you know we've got those paceline kits from primal i uh, wore mine I wore mine. Yeah. We'll have we'll have a picture. Yeah, I wore it uh, in Steamboat. They're very very Excellent. nice. Yeah, they fit super great. Get yeah, on it. I I uh, I'm hoping it cools off in the next couple of days here. <laughs> it's well, suddenly very warm. That's why I could wear them because it's 100 degrees here, and they are a little. I mean, it's not like they're hot, but they're not made for 100 degrees. Uh, but yeah. th- there was almost frost there on some morning, so it was Ooh. good. Yeah, the temperature swings were profound. But the uh, the shakeout ride, I wore it for the shakeout ride on Saturday, and it was perfect because it was pretty brisk. It was pretty chilly. Very comfortable. Cool. Nice. Uh, well, hey, everybody, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show features Kristen Keim, sports psychologist, uh, and it was a really wonderful interview. Uh, fascinating stuff. I, I love doing these interviews. That one was really special for me. Uh, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.